Why don't pro-lifers trust women? This is a question that I've been asked on a number of occasions, and in today's episode, I'm going to unpack how pro-lifers can navigate the question of trust. Stay tuned. Hi folks, my name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast and I am super fired up to have you back along for the ride. Thank you to all of you who have been faithful listeners over the last two years. We've been pumping out episodes. Um, And to those of you who might be new, welcome along for the ride. The Pro-Life Guys podcast is dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about this incredibly important, but at times very controversial issue. I I feel like for many of us, the topic of abortion is something that initially we don't want to approach. Society has told us that this is awkward, that it's uncomfortable, that people shouldn't have to talk about abortion. And yet people like you, people like me, people like our interns and all those involved in the pro-life movement are challenging the status quo and saying we need to talk about the issue of abortion because there are literally lives at stake. And so thank you for tuning in to the program. If you haven't already subscribed to whatever um, podcast catcher you're following right now, subscribe to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. We'd love for you to do that. Um, And a couple more things that I want to invite you into. Um, You can check on our website, ProLifeGuys.com. You can find merch there, some of which is featured behind me. I'm not the little wooden guy, but the... um, drinking vessels that you see beside me. We've got t-shirts, we've got books, we've got a whole bunch of other stuff that you can purchase there. And in light of the fact that we are in back to school time, I don't know um, how many of you still get like anxiety attacks around the idea of going back to school. Um, I am starting to get to the age now, I'm 32, and so I'm starting to feel like back to school is a fun time of year. For a long time, it was like a little bit fun when I was in middle school and then come high school, it was less fun. And then come university, it was horrifying and I didn't want to go back to school at all. Um, And then I feel like after I graduated university, it was a little bit of a a gap time. And now I'm back into this kind of vibe of back to school is kind of a neat time of year that that this is an opportunity for us to prepare for a new opportunity for learning, engagement, all that fun stuff. I'm not belaboring the point um, too much. What I want to do. So we are going back to school and I want to help you out a little bit um, with your wardrobe, with your your choice of drinking vessels and maybe with a few pens as well. And so what we're going to do, there's going to be two contests coming up here. The first is on YouTube. Go to the Pro-Life Guys podcast YouTube channel and the first five people who comment on this episode, it's going to be up on YouTube. Um probably when you're hearing it, whether you're hearing it on your favorite podcatcher, whether you're listening to it on YouTube already or through our website, go to the go to our YouTube channel, watch the video, listen to the video there, hit us a like. If you're not already subscribed, hit us a subscribe and comment what you enjoyed about the episode or any questions that you might have. I need a comment from you. All of the people who get entered in to, um, the first five people that get entered into that are going to be entered into a draw to win one of our blue pro-life guy t-shirts um it's a throwback one it's got my face it's got peter boss's face for those of you who are new to the show peter boss was my my co-host for the first 99 episodes and whatnot he has uh, moved on to other ministries and serving the lord in them um but you'll get one of our blue t-shirts you'll also get your choice of one of these three drinking vessels and so first five people that go there and as i mentioned there's a second contest identical contest 
For those um, who YouTube isn't quite your pace, you can go onto our website, ProLifeGuys.com, listen to the episode, episode there, either the YouTube link or the Spotify link. Um, drop us a comment um, in there, and the first five people to drop comments on our website episode will also be entered into a draw also for one of our blue t-shirts and your choice of drinking vessels. I'll throw in a bunch of end the killing pens and maybe some wristbands and whatever else. Um, but yeah, we want to want to hook you up with a few things before school semesters start again, whether you're in high school, university, whether you're a teacher, professor, whether you're a parent of somebody who's going off to school, whatever it may be. If you're not even affiliated with school, you've never heard of school before, you're still entered into the draw if you want to want to do that. So um, absolutely. If you want to help us grow the show uh, more and more, next week we're going to be doing an episode on our summer internships. We did a, one at the end of last year's internship where I got all of the interns to crowd around in, in at the time, the, the classroom that we were using then. Um, and we're going to hear a little bit from them um, coming up next week, which is really cool. Um, and we'll go from there. And so that's a little bit of what's on the go. I apologize and I appreciate all of you for continuing to tune in even when these episodes get posted a little bit later and our social media is lagging behind as well. Huge shout out to Carissa who does a bunch of our social media stuff now. Um, we are definitely feeling the loss of Peter. Peter is an incredible dude. Um, he looked after a ton of the logistics stuff around posting episodes and um, the social media content and whatnot. And so definitely missing Peter. Um, I, I'm thankful that I've been able to touch base with him a few times, get updates from him and his family as to all the cool stuff that they're up, uh, up to. And I hope to have him on sometime in September here so that you can um, hear as well as to what he and his family are up, up to um, with ministry um, in, in a different kind of sector of society and whatnot. And so that's really cool. Without further ado, let's dive into this question. I don't know how many times you've been asked about the component of trust, but a number of times, especially over this summer, um, I have been asked and kind of challenged in a, why don't pro-lifers trust women? Why can't they just trust women to make the best healthcare decision for them, for their family, for their health, all that kind of stuff? And often it even goes a step beyond that, where it goes sometimes sarcastically, sometimes aggressively into the question of if you don't think that we should trust women with healthcare decisions about their bodies, what else don't you think we should trust women with? Do you think that we should strip women of the vote? Do you think that we should strip women of driver's licenses and the ability to travel and all this kind of stuff? And it's this spiral of accusing pro-lifers of not trusting women. And for a lot of people, that can be a baffling situation to try to navigate because obviously we, we trust women, we trust women, we trust men at particular times. And to dive into the background a little bit, like what's going through our minds as pro-lifers? What are we thinking about when people levy this accusation against us? Well, for some of us, I'm sure that you think about, well, no, obviously I don't trust women to make this decision. Because in Canada, over the last 50 years, approximately three to four million mothers have chosen to abort their children. And so how could I trust a mother to make the right decision when the track record of so many in our society is making the wrong decision, we would say? That is something that we need to keep in the back of our minds. I would argue that's probably something that you don't want to spit out right away because I think that what they are attempting to do is set up a false um, kind of me versus you. They want to pit 
pro-lifers against women. They want this to be an anti-women's movement. And as I hope that we've conveyed through all of our past episodes, and I hope to convey through this episode as well, we are the furthest thing imaginable from an anti-woman movement. We want to support and help women flourish. And this isn't some kind of white savior, male savior, whatever kind of thing of like, only I can allow women to flourish or whatever. But no, I would argue, and as we're going to get into, the entire deck is stacked against women, against mothers when it comes to making decisions about abortion. And as I want to get into, this is not a moral matter of trust. This is an information matter of fairness. This isn't about whether or not I think women and mothers are trustworthy. This is about whether or not the people making these decisions, people making any decision, are actually equipped with the information that they need. And I want to dive into that and mine that a little bit further to try to help you understand where I'm coming from. So I'm going to start by going a little bit further into this background component. And then I'm going to get into kind of an introductory entry-level response of what you can say to somebody who levies this accusation about pro-lifers not wanting to trust mothers um, if you're new to having conversations about abortion. And then I want to dive a little bit deeper into what I might call a 201 or a higher level response for those who have a little bit more experience behind them. The reason why I break it into those two is because as somebody who not only was a new pro-lifer around 10 years ago and was desperately trying to grasp all of the different things that we're trying to convey and say in a conversation, but as somebody whose literal job is to train people in pro-life conversation skills, what I've found time after time is that for those who are new to having conversations about abortion, as I was once, as many of you were once, I'm sure, um, it can be daunting to try to remember a bunch of anecdotal differences of a very nuanced, very specialized way of approaching a particular question. That is something to work towards, absolutely. But what I want to propose for many of you who may be new to having conversations about abortion is to have something of a standardized process that might not be quite as eloquent. It might be a little bit more clunky than a more sophisticated kind of approach from somebody who's got a little bit more experience. But with this systematic approach, you know that regardless of what the abortion advocate says, you will at least have a half-decent, if not most of the way accurate, not sorry, not most of the way accurate, it'll be fully accurate, but a very, very solid response. It's not going to be the most eloquent, it may not be the most um, effective, but it's going to be something that you can actually remember because it's a system that fits with everything else. And so I hope that makes sense. It'll make more sense once I dive into it. But let's talk a little bit more about the background. Let's talk a little bit about um, what's going into this. So we talked a little bit about the track record that has been demonstrated throughout history. And we can say, okay, well, obviously we shouldn't be trusting women because of the poor decisions that they're making, because they can continue to make around one in four pregnancies in Canada. One in four, one in five, it's it's around 20% of pregnancies, not including those um, pregnancies that are ended, those children that are killed through morning after pills and birth control pills. And, and I'm sure now, even statistically, the RU46 um, take-home, do-it-yourself abortion pills, those statistics aren't included in the numbers. But surgical elective abortions that are performed either in hospitals or in clinics the closest estimate we have is around 20 to 22% of pregnancies end with a child being electively killed through abortion. 
And so that, that's a tremendous number of abortions. Obviously, it's a horrifying number when it comes to the children whose lives have been lost, who have been directly killed by abortion. And we can say, okay, this, this is a terrible track record. And we can think if we go a little bit deeper, even a tiny, tiny amount deeper, we can understand, okay, by way of analogy, we wouldn't take this approach on anything else, right? We wouldn't say, you know what, we're not going to put speed limits on our roads because we're just going to trust people to drive an appropriate speed. I'm sure there are countries, regions, cities that have tried that to terrible results because sure, some people are going to know their limit and play within it as it were. And some people aren't. And whether they're not because of who they are or because they lack the information, because they don't know there's a big turn coming up, because they don't know that there's a school here, because they don't know that there's a crosswalk, it may be a matter of morality, but very often it's a matter of information. And so we don't trust people, as it were, to make decisions when they're blind to the information that is pertinent. You might say we shouldn't trust people even if they know all of the information, but I think that at the very least we could all agree that if somebody doesn't have all of the information, particularly the information that is vitally important to literally not kill a human being, if they don't have that information, then that's not a moral judgment on the person making the decision necessarily, but rather a maybe a condemnation, maybe simply a reflection on the society that surrounds that individual. If somebody is driving 110 through a school zone because we decided to just trust them, it might be because that person is a morally evil person that want, knows that there are children playing on the playground and wants to run over one of them at a high speed. But it might be somebody who is literally oblivious to the fact that there is a high school or a crosswalk or an elementary school or whatever nearby, and they genuinely believe that it's appropriate to drive 110 or 80 kilometers an hour or 50 or whatever they're driving in that area with, with children playing on a playground because of a lack of information. They're a genuinely trustworthy person. If they had more information, they would make a better decision, but they don't have that information. And so we can think of that by way of a ton of other analogies, right? I mean, we have legislation and we have moral standards, we have natural law that guide us towards a ton of different decisions because without sufficient information, the odds of people making appropriate decisions are incredibly low, right? I mean, I, to, to go in a very, very intense direction, would we ever say, you know what, we don't need legislation surrounding sexual assault or even harassment because let's just trust that fellows are going to make the right decision. We have literally seen played out here in the media, played out in tragically so many people's lives. I've literally talked to hundreds, if not thousands by this point, certainly hundreds, getting close to a thousand, if not over a thousand people who've been personally impacted by sexual assault and, and abuse and violence in their home from family members, from friends, from people in their community. It, it's absolutely horrifying. We would never say that we're not going to put standards, moral standards or legal standards surrounding sexual encounters because we're just going to trust people to do the right thing. Some people do the wrong thing because they're morally corrupt. Some people do the wrong thing because they don't have the right information, right? I would argue that, 
you have to have all of the right information or, or like it's impossible to not have all the right information on the sexual assault thing, but that's something to have in the back of our minds. Again, this is background information that we want to be aware of. And I think that to go one further level deeper before we tie it together and before we start going into how we respond, one level deeper that I want to talk about is simply asking the question, why? Why are so many mothers having abortions? Is it because, and like, as we analyze the decisions and why mothers are having abortions, are they having it, are they playing out with anecdotal evidence or even statistical evidence that, no, these are actually just wicked people having abortions? No. Time and time again, study after study, anecdote after anecdote, I have literally talked to, again, thousands of people who have had abortions. And while I, uh, sure, I'll be the first to admit, I've seen social media posts and whatever of people who become pregnant and take the, the abortion pill on the steps of the Supreme Court out of protest or whatever. I get that there are a handful of people who know exactly what they're doing and are making morally wicked decisions. Absolutely. I will acknowledge that. But of the thousands of people that I've spoken to face to face who have had abortions, not a single one of them wanted to have an abortion. Not a single one of them wants to have more abortions. They, many of them want to have access to abortion. Many of them will say that if they need to have an abortion, they will have another one. But I have literally never met somebody who said, I wanted to have my first abortion and I want to have more abortions because I think that it's a good thing. I think that it helps me be a better person. I literally never spoken to somebody who have said that. And I think the statistics bear that out, that poll after poll after poll in America, I don't know if they've been able to pull off any in Canada because of how tightly held the um, information about anybody who's had an abortion is, but I'm sure there's been polls in Canada as well. But I know of, of several in the States and a few in Europe as well that have demonstrated time after time the people who have abortions, mothers who have abortions, don't want them. They feel as though it's their only or their best option. And oftentimes, they're willing to admit that if there was a better option, they would have considered it. If they could have seen a better path forward, they would have pursued it. And so why are these mothers having abortions? If not because they want them, if not because they're inherently wicked in their desire to slaughter as many children as they can... For the vast majority of them, there is a component of societal pressure, whether that society is a very defined pressure, whether that's a husband, a boyfriend, a parent, a school counselor, somebody defined who is pushing them towards abortion. Coercion is a major factor. Explicit coercion is a major factor when it comes to um, when it comes to mothers having abortions. Not only explicit coercion, but implicit coercion. That even when somebody isn't explicitly saying, you have to have an abortion or I'm going to break up with you. You have to have an abortion or you're going to get kicked out of the house. You're going to have to have an abortion or you're going to be expelled from school or kicked out of this class or whatever. Even if it's implicit, even if it's people gently nudging them in that direction of, you know what, I really think that you're, you're going to lose a lot of your future. I really think that you're going to rule out a lot of your opportunities and possibilities. It's going to be such a loss to you and the whole medical community if you're not able to pursue your medical degree. It's going to be a loss to our family. You're not going to be able to support us. Um, you're going to have a hard time providing for your other children. Gentle, it's horrifying that we call that gentle coercion, even though it's pushing people very directly towards having abortions. There are so many factors 
pushing people towards abortion, pushing, pushing these mothers towards abortion. And I would argue, as I alluded to before, that the entire deck is stacked against mothers. Maybe there's a, a vibrant pro-life arm in your community. Maybe there are regular pro-life talks in the high school that you're a part of, whether you attend or you're a teacher or admin or connected with in one way or another. I would argue that almost every card in the deck, as it were, is stacked against mothers to choose life for their children. That if there's any seed of doubt in their mind as to whether or not um, now is a good time for pregnancy, we have it legal in Canada. We have it legal in many countries around the world. And so those who rely on the laws, their moral compass, are saying, okay, take that box. Apparently this isn't a bad decision. This is an option that's on the table for me. Not only do we have one, if not two, if not maybe three generations in their family who have supported abortion. Maybe we also have an entire public school system that pushes people towards abortion. Maybe we have an entire workforce that pushes people towards abortion. I mean, look at all the news that's come out of late about companies like Uber, companies like Amazon and countless others, Patagonia, places that are saying, we will pay for you to travel in America to receive an abortion. We will make sure that you get access to abortion but they're not willing to offer any degree or a very minor amount of maternal support for uh, maternal um, leave. We, we are offering at times even more leave for grief after abortion than we're allowing mothers with pay for, for parenting their children. Like the, the professional, the industrial world is pushing people towards abortion. The educational world is pushing people towards abortion. We spent two years doing classes online. How easy do you think it'll be coming in this new semester for somebody who finds out that they're pregnant to do all of their coursework online, submit all of their stuff and graduate with their degree? Our education system, both secondary and post-secondary education, pushes people towards abortion. So much of the deck is stacked against mothers making a life-affirming decision that I would argue that it only makes sense to acknowledge the fact this isn't a matter of trust on moral grounds, that this isn't a matter of whether or not a mother is trustworthy enough to make a good decision. This is a matter of the fact that the, the information that she needs, the support that she needs is not around her. She is being shoved as firmly as society possibly can. And it's not even nuanced anymore. I mean, it's explicit. There, there's no getting around the idea of like getting gently nudged by your employer. There are employers that'll straight down tell you that you have to have an abortion or that you really should have an abortion, that they won't keep your job for you without you having an abortion, things like that. Like it's messed up. And so I know that I'm rambling right now, but I think it's important for us to have this in our mind to really empathize with mothers and not cut them a free pass, not to say that they, that they are not culpable for making the abortion decision, but rather the fact that all of the information that is presented to them is pushing them in that direction. Somebody might push back and challenge, though, of, so you don't think that a woman can do her own research? You don't think that that woman can navigate all of that misinformation? And I would say, unfortunately, again, it's not because of who she is. There are people who make terrible decisions, men, women, about all different decisions because of the information that is pushed to them 
but even the information that is available, if a mother wants to seek out what is abortion, and she goes to, okay, well, I've been told that Planned Parenthood, or I've been told that the Calgary Sexual Health Clinic, or my um, counselor is trustworthy, or whatever, my parent, my maybe even her pastor is trustworthy, and the information that is not readily available, but provided upon research is also inaccurate. She has to dig really, really deeply. She has to search through a ton of information to find this. And I, I just think that it's unfair. It's not a matter of trustworthiness, but rather a reflection on society and our culture as to whether or not this is fair to expect somebody to be able to do this in what is without a doubt the most challenging, stressful, um, complicated time of their life very likely to this point. We're going to expect them to have uh, a razor focus on weeding through propaganda and weeding through misinformation when they are panicking about their life falling apart because everybody in their life is pushing them and telling them that there's no way that they can succeed in life unless they have an abortion. Let's look at another deck, right? If, if I, so I present the fact that almost every card in the deck is stacked against that pregnant mother. And these are the outcomes. We still have three out of four. We have four out of five mothers who are choosing life for their children. It's beautiful. I think that speaks to the resilience and strength and wisdom and courage and grace and virtue of mothers in general. Let's look at another situation where the deck is not nearly stacked in any way as against the subject and let's look at the outcome. Let's look at rape culture. Just for a moment. I know this is setting off alarm bells for a lot of people. If you want to dive into this, my colleague Jonathan Van Maren on The Bridgehead and The Van Maren Show and his podcast, his blog goes into this far deeper. But let's talk about fellas for one moment. All right, let's say, let's look at, I mean, so I'm a sports guy. Let's look at all of the stuff. Deshaun Watson in the NFL. Let's look at the, the Canadian World Juniors. Um, that some of you may have heard about. Let's look in uh, Hollywood. Let's look in all of these different areas where men are making these terrible decisions to abuse, violently sexually assault women, underage women, women of age. Consent is thrown out the window. Consent has no notion anymore, or it's held up as a sacred cow, whatever. Trevor Bauer, they throw out a bunch of names, whatever. All of these fellas who have violently sexually assaulted and abused women and I would argue that the majority of the deck is stacked in their favor, that we have legislation telling people very clearly, like, like, no, you cannot sexually assault people. We have education systems in our public schools talking about the, the necessity of consent. We have still a very culturally aware situation that this is just generally bad. And there's a couple of cards that are stacked against them, pornography and maybe a few other cards. Biggest one, obviously, being pornography. And that leads men to make these terrible decisions. We have one card or maybe a couple of cards that are stacked against them and everything else is pointing in the right direction and they still make these terrible decisions. Is it a matter of we don't trust people in general? Would we ever say that we have much more societal infrastructure for men to not sexually assault women? Therefore, we're just going to trust them. We're going to trust the fact that they have access to all of this information in their schools. We're going to trust the fact that they're going to let the law help them in their moral compass if they're confused or, or somehow don't know that this is an atrocious, terrible, awful crime. Um, we're just going to trust them. We're, we're actually going to take some of that legislation out because we have such a great educational system in public schools and post-secondary and, and all of our counseling centers and sexual health centers and all that kind of thing. 
No, that's absolutely asinine. We need to do even more to make sure that even when the deck is stacked a little bit against people, even if the deck is stacked entirely in favor of people, even if they have all of the information available, that we continue to provide a positive force of direction and support so that people can make a good direction. So that's an awful lot of rambling. Let's tie this all together. Let's talk about how this is not a matter of moral trust or lack thereof, but rather a lack of societal fairness. The fact that it is not fair to mothers to leave them isolated in making this decision all on their own, not because they're not capable, but because in that moment of absolute panic and affliction, it is not fair as a neighbor, as a Christian, as a decent human being to leave that person in isolation. Think about it in any other case. Think about it when it comes to babysitting or any other high-pressure situation. Would we ever say that in the highest-pressure situation of your life, we are going to mandate that nobody can try to influence you towards making a good decision that's going to help the people in that decision, the subjects of the decision, and the people around them? No, that's absolutely foolish. So let's not think about this as a condemnation of women, but rather a condemnation of society. So how do we apply it? Entry level, apologetics 101, the simple system that we used. Common ground, analogy, question. I would say, find common ground with very explicit language. I would say, you know what? I agree with you that we need to trust women in making important decisions about their life. I think that we can all agree on that. I agree with you, the person I'm talking with, I agree with you that we need to trust women with important decisions in their life. Imagine that somebody about to make an incredibly important decision didn't have all the information they needed. And if they made the wrong decision, that decision would end up killing another human being. Not because they wanted to kill the other human being, but because they lacked the information they needed to know whether or not their decision would kill another human being. Would you agree that it's important to provide that person with the information they need to know that one decision will kill a human? The vast majority of people are going to say, yes, obviously, if somebody doesn't know that what they're going to do is going to kill a human, then you need to provide that evidence. Okay, pivot question. And so if it's important, if it's appropriate for us to provide somebody lacking the information about killing a born child, don't you think it's important to provide the information that abortion kills a pre-born child to somebody who might be making that decision without full knowledge? Where are they going to go? They're either going to go one of two directions. First of all, they're going to say, well, it's not killing a child. Okay, you've played right into my hands. Now we get to talk about whether or not this is a child. We go into the human rights argument. We talk about the humanity of the preborn. We might go into human plus X, the idea that human rights go to all human beings, not just those who have acquired or attained a particular level of development or age. Or so they're going to go that direction and challenge this doesn't kill the child. Therefore, they have the information they need, or it doesn't matter that they don't have your information, the information they have is accurate, or it just doesn't matter because it doesn't kill a human. And so you get to talk about the humanity of the preborn and not whether or not women are trustworthy, or they're going to go the route of, but don't you think that women can come, can find that information on their own, 
Why do you need to push it on people when they can just find it on their own? And on that, again, you're going to go through common ground analogy question. You're going to say, you know what, I agree with you that for a lot of people, they will be able to find this information. Imagine that there were a few people that weren't able to, whether it's because of lack of access or because it was being hidden from them by somebody who they thought cared about them. What would you think about the information being held from them? Do you think it'd be important for it to be even more publicly available so that even if they couldn't find access on their own, it was presented? Yes. Cool. So we're back to back to square one again, talking about the humanity of the preborn. Common ground analogy question. I agree with you that we should be trusting women to make important decisions about their life. Would we ever say that for somebody who's going to make a decision that they don't have all of the information, they don't know that their decision might directly and intentionally kill a child? Do we think that we should provide that information to them? Yes. If for a born child, why not a preborn child? Going from there. The higher level, the 201 that I want to suggest, and I know that many of you who are listening have had lots of conversations about abortion, whether online, whether in person, whatever it may be. Um, the, the second, what I want to suggest on this higher level, once you've worked through, once you're familiar and comfortable with the common ground analogy question, this higher level, we are looking for first a clarification. Rather than starting with a common ground analogy question, which is going to work, majority of the times, we're going to want to have this clarification. What do you mean by trust? Let's talk about the reasons why we may or may not trust somebody and start unpacking why they, why you might not trust somebody. Would you trust me to be Canada's ambassador to the States? Would you trust me to be a lawyer? Would you trust me to do anything that I am not trained to do and why not? Is it because you think that I'm a wicked, terrible person? Do you think that I, you can't trust me to be a Supreme Court judge because I'm a bad person or because I simply don't know enough to be a good judge? I simply don't have the information necessary to make correct judgments. Do you trust me to rewire your house? If not, why not? because I'm a bad person and I want to burn down your house or because I don't know enough to be able to do it properly. There's a difference between moral goodness, badness, appropriateness, and societal fairness. And so that's what we want to come back to. That's what we want to cover. And that's how we want to navigate this question of whether or not pro-lifers trust women to make decisions or not. We want to be clear that we absolutely trust women. And we want to set them in a fair society because we acknowledge that the, the deck has been stacked against them. And if you want to throw in another little barb into it, we could be very clear in saying that the reason the deck is stacked against them is because of men. Very often, this is because of the men in their life, their boyfriends, their husbands, the, the other fellows, whether, whether it's a work environment, whether it's a school environment, whether it's the Supreme Court or whether it's politicians or whatever, there's a lot of men who are still influencing, coercing, pressuring mothers to have abortions. And so this is not a condemnation of the women who are choosing abortion. You could argue that this is a condemnation of the fellas, the society pushing them towards abortion. So I hope that makes sense. If you have any questions, hit me up. Um, you can either go to um, our website and contact us there, the contact form through there. You can email me at email at 
prolifeguys.com. Um, and again, I'll mention that um, contest that we're doing, a two-fold contest, one on YouTube, one on the website. First five people that comment on the post, like, comment, subscribe to the post, whatever. If you've subscribed already, just like and comment. First five people on each, the website and the YouTube video um, will be entered into a draw and you will win a blue Pro-Life Guys t-shirt and your choice of drinking vessels in behind me here. Whether you want a ceramic mug, whether you want a travel mug or the water bottle, the choice is yours. We'll ship it to you as quick as we can. Thanks a ton for tuning in. I hope that your pro-life outreach is going very well. Um, if you want support, we have some really cool stuff going on at CCBR. We are bringing on a community outreach coordinator who is specifically geared towards supporting community-based initiatives. We have a new church outreach coordinator here in Western Canada. We've got one in Eastern Canada as well. Miranda King in Eastern Canada, Virginia White here. Shout-outs to both of them. Um, we want to work with you. If you're on campus, we want to work with you as well. We want to help out. We want to network with some of the other campus-based groups as well. And we want to help offer not only the apologetic support and training to help you have better conversations about abortion, but we'd love to help you with pro-life strategy as well for effective and meaningful ways to engage people in your spheres of influence. So thanks a ton for tuning in. Hit us up with any questions. If you want to help us put more boots on the ground, go to patreon.com slash prolifeguys and sign up there. Announcement coming up relatively soon. I know that I talked about this before the summer, but with the Peter transition and everything, we weren't able to get our Life Lounge happening again, um, but we're aiming for one end of September. So more news on that coming up shortly. Thanks so much. Um, have a great day wherever you are and however much of it is left, and may God bless you abundantly. Amen.